0: God said, My house will be a house of prayer. And so we will pray today. We will let the text that we've arrived at in our study of Ephesians determine the scope of the prayer, and we will let the model given us by Jesus in the Lord's Prayer determine the structure for that prayer. And if you're like me and you grew up in the Protestant church, you may not be accustomed to somebody giving you like a liturgical guided prayer. Like, when's the last time somebody sat you down and said, okay, now pray for this, and just, like, waited? That's what we're going to do as a church today. We are studying verse by verse the book of Ephesians, and it is exquisite. It is amazing. And we've arrived at, in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, the longest prayer in the New Testament. And so we will study this prayer But the most direct way I can think to apply this text is to pray then, as a church, corporately, together. And then to pray this prayer, which Paul prayed first in his writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for the church at Ephesus. We will then pray it over Highlands Community Church. Now, if you're a theology nerd like me, sometimes you can hear a sermon And you can be skeptical if it's too positive. You're like, no, it's only good preaching if it gives me self-esteem issues. (laughs) That's not always the case. Where did that come from? I think that's a defense mechanism that we put in our hearts so we can detect false teaching, prosperity gospel teaching. But we can set that device to the side because there are no rough edges in this text, Highlands Community Church. All right, so my fellow theology nerd, you're gonna say like, Jesse sounds too positive. Is this prosperity teaching? Has he lost his way? No. I'm saying what's in the text. That's expository preaching, right? You say what the text says. And what does this text say? Nothing but beautiful, soaring, encouraging words that will just take an atom bomb to the scope of how you pray and remind you of who your God is. And how great he is, and what he is able to do. And if you allow it, it will alter the trajectory of what you would have prayed before. So such that because of this text you would now pray in proportion to what God is able to do. Think on that prospect. To pray in proportion to what God is able to do. Does that challenge your prayer life? My skeptical friend, my militant atheist friend who's with us today, you actually may have an easier time with this text than the seasoned Christian. Because those of us church kids who grew up in the church, our testimony goes like this, I was saved when I was six, I'm still saved, (laughs) you can grow jaded in your prayer life, and Over the course of time, if you pray things that are not in the will of God, those prayers go unanswered, and that can frustrate you, that can burn you out in your prayer life, that can cause you, as a reflex, to begin to shrink the scope of what you pray, narrower and narrower until it almost falls within the range of what you are able to bring about as manifest through your own means, because your fragile faith can't take the thought of asking God to do something, he doesn't do it, and so your prayers diminish, and this text is going to stretch that back out again. So you pray in proportion, not to what you are able to do, but in proportion to what God is able to do. So let it challenge you, Christian. Let it remind you the scope of what God may do. He is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. So pray accordingly. Pray like your God is big, Christian, because he is. He is. The very first prayer, I hope my skeptical friends pray, comes from Romans 10.9. The very first prayer I want you to pray is this. Are you ready? Jesus is Lord. I think that's the very first prayer God wants to hear from you. Because you may already, already have tuned out the idea of joining us in prayer because you're like, no, I've tried prayer. I've tried prayer, and prayer doesn't work. I, try, I prayed. I asked God to do something He didn't do it. In fact, that's why I don't believe in God. Because I asked God to do something, He didn't do that thing I asked him to do. Therefore, God does not exist. Would you deconstruct that, that train of thought with me? It's a very common objection given to belief in God. you ask Him to do something He didn't do it. My friend, God does not have to do what you ask him to do in order to exist. If obedience to you, compliance with your will, is a pretext for existence, that would make you God and not God God. God does not have to answer your prayers in order to exist. He answers prayers only that are in accordance with His will. That's convenient, Jesse. He only answers prayers that fall within His will? Of course, because consider the alternative that you could pray and ask God to do something against his will, and he would just have to do it. Ah! you prayed it, twisted my arm. I've got to do that now. Again, that would make you God, not him. So, of course, God is only going to answer prayers that fall in accordance with his will. I've prayed to God numerous times at the top of my lungs for him to do things that he did not do. And it stretched my faith to say, okay, because God did not answer this was not according to his will. But Christian, don't let that jade your prayer life such that it narrows in scope over the course of time, eroding the boundaries of what you pray for, and so that you forget how to pray for the impossible, which God is able to do. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Let's read this prayer. We are going to pray this prayer But first, we're going to pray together as a church the way that Jesus taught us to. We'll structure our prayer according to the Lord's Prayer, but this text will determine the scope of how we pray. Are you ready, Highlands Community Church? Let's look at this incredible text. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is a prayer, isn't it? Is anybody convicted by that? Like, oh man, I need to pray like that. How many of us would do well to pray like six-year-olds? You know, isn't that what Jesus taught us? The faith like a child. Oh, the immeasurable scope of this prayer. It's tremendous. All right, so Highlands, you've trusted me before in a year's worth of preaching here. Have I shown myself trustworthy to say what the text says? All right, so you can trust me now when I'm just gonna encourage you and encourage you and encourage you, okay? You've walked with me through some very offensive texts. All right, now the beautiful liberty that comes with that is if you're gonna stay with me through the difficult text, please don't fail to relish And the luxurious texts, do you understand? That's your prerogative, Christian. If you're gonna go verse by verse through a book of the Bible, by all means, don't just face head on the politically incorrect ones but fail to champion the beautiful soaring ones, okay? This text is amazing and I pray, I pray that it just sets an atom bomb to the scope of how we pray. Now it opens up with some familiar words. This is for this reason. Same word that he used at the opening of chapter 3, for this reason. Here in, in verse 14, the reason that he evokes, and for this reason, is that God has made known the mystery of the gospel, that now the Gentiles would be saved along with the Jew, and that all who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. So because this great mystery of the gospel has now been made known to apostles and prophets of old, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's indicating, obviously, a very humble posture here, right? To bow the knee, to go on your knees before the Father is to pray in humility and in submission to him. Now, this seems basic. This seems obvious. It seems fundamental. But how many of us have forgotten this in our prayer lives? To pray from such a posture in our hearts The physical act of getting on your knees to pray carries some weight as long as you remember why you're doing it. You do not need to be physically on your knees in order to pray, but you do need to be humble in heart. How many of us go before God the Father instead of in humility before the Father on our knees? We go before him the way that we would a secretary. I need this and this and this, this. As opposed to praying in humility, remembering which one of you is God when you pray. Go before him as the Father. Now, there's some some beautiful unity in this teaching as well. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You can see echoes of the Lord's model prayer already, can't you? How did Jesus teach us how to pray? Our Father. The first two words of the model prayer given by Jesus already teach us something that's similar to this he is reminding us that we all have one heavenly father he is our father i don't know what your ethnic background is but i know that we have one heavenly father i don't know what culture you come from but we have one heavenly father we've all moved here from, some of us coming from from nations far away but we all have one we have one heavenly father we come from different generations, but we have one Father. In different walks of life, but we have one Father. Welcome home, the family of God, Highlands Community Church. And we have one Father. That makes you my brother and my sister, doesn't it? Every family on earth gets this name because we all have this one heavenly Father. Christianity is better equipped than any other force in this world to obliterate and end racism. Because there's no other institution of thought that would evoke such a beautiful principle as this and could also transform hearts like the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have one Father, and every, every family in heaven and earth is named under under His leadership. He is the Father. Verse 16 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. This is is an important thing that we sometimes forget. When Jesus, in the beginning of the book of Acts, spoke to his disciples, he told them, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. All right, now, those of us who are theologically very conservative, oh, that makes me nervous. Don't talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you not believe Jesus when he said, you will receive power? When my Holy Spirit comes upon you and you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. From the outside looking in, somebody who didn't have that spirit would call that delusion. Like this is a, this is like a renegade carpenter son from Nazareth speaking to a ragtag bunch of fishermen and telling them that they're going to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth and the airplane hasn't even been invented yet. But here we are, from the other side of the earth, believing upon it, evidently, evidently they did receive power, because here we are at the ends of the earth. Jesus said, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the strength, this is the source of the strength in this text. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I love verse-by-verse preaching. It's my favorite kind. But there is one downside. There is one peril to verse-by-verse preaching. You take a letter like Ephesians that was meant to be read in its entirety in one sitting, and you stretch it out over the course of months, and you can lose track of what you just read. Okay, watch a movie five minutes at a time over the course of three months. You will get confused at some point. So to fully appreciate what Paul just evoked, we have to remember what we studied in previous sermons here, what we looked at in previous group sessions. Paul has just used the analogy of the Old Testament temple that was torn down stone by stone. And to say that now, today, there is a new dwelling place of God, it is comprised of Jew and Gentile alike, and it is a new dwelling place for God, and its cornerstone is Jesus Christ. At the very center of the very center of the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, and that's where the direct presence of God was on the earth. And now, in this language, he's saying, you would be strengthened by the Spirit's presence in your innermost being. That makes you, Christian, the temple. He's evoking imagery that he established in previous chapters, that you be strengthened by his spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is not a drill. I'm literally praying exactly this over you, my skeptical friend, that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The very first prayer that you're going to pray is going to be to your father. You're going to be filled with his spirit. You're going to have faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to live within your heart. And then here's what's interesting. That's going to then change what you would pray. You would pray things that were selfishly motivated before, but then once you you have the spirit of God in your innermost being, once you have Christ in your heart through faith, it changes what you would have prayed. It changes what you were going to pray. You were praying for your will to be done, but then you begin to pray for God's will to be done. You actually prefer God's will to be done over your own. It changes everything. When you have the spirit of God in your innermost being, when Christ dwells in your heart through faith. Last night I gave my kids ice cream at like eight o'clock at night. And why did I do that? Because my kids... And they came to church with me, Saturday night church, and they asked for ice cream. And they're really cute. Have you seen them? (laughs) And I love them. I'm going to love them forever. So, yeah, it was worth it to watch them run laps around the living room before bedtime. But they asked, Daddy, can we have ice cream? I said, Yes. (laughs) Because I love them. And my children. I love giving good gifts to my children. And I'm a sinner. Think about that for a second. If I, who's still struggling with the sin nature and the process of sanctification that will go on to the day that I die, if I, though a redeemed sinner, would give my children gifts, how much better then is our Heavenly Father at giving good gifts to those who ask Him? That's what Jesus taught. I give them gifts because they're my children. Now, if somebody else's kid comes up to me and asks for ice cream, like, who are you? Whose are you? We've got a rogue kid asking for ice cream, and I don't want to get in trouble buying your kid ice cream. Like, a, a child walks up to you and asks you for ice cream. You're skeptical, right? Who is this? Is it possible that like none of your prayers have been answered because he's not your father? How does prayer begin? Our father who's in heaven. How did this prayer begin? All right. Bowing the knee before the father. Is he your father? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you'd be saved? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, This is the reason your prayer life is frustrated. Watch what happens when you are, as this text described, strengthened by the Spirit in your innermost being, filled with the Spirit of Christ through faith in your heart. The things that you pray for then change. The things that you pray for begin to radically, radically change. Now look at this. Do you see in verse 17 that you being rooted and grounded in love? That's so vital for everything that follows. We see the metaphorical language begin to stretch into every conceivable spatial dimension. Height, breadth, width, depth, all all the different dimensions you could explore spatially, but it begins here, rooted and grounded in love. If you lose track of this, if your heart gets hardened, you grow weary, jaded, bitter, spiritually tired. If you lose track of this, you lose track of how great the love of God is. I'll bet I'm the biggest theology nerd in here. And I've seen this happen before. The deeper you study the things of theology, the easier it can become to become condescending towards other people who haven't studied as in depth as you have. And the moment, the nanosecond, that you begin to look at other believers, especially other believers who hold to a sound gospel, same gospel that you believe, All right, they may commit errors in some of the secondary issues of the faith, but the moment that you begin to look at them with any air of condescension, you've forgotten the gospel, you've forgotten theology, you're no longer rooted and grounded in love. The more you study theology, the more humble you should become, Christian. The more loving you should be. If you begin... To look at other Christians who commit theological error on negotiable issues with an air of condescension, or with hostility, and tempted to slander them, as I've seen Christians do. You have forgotten this. You are no longer rooted and grounded in love. Do you remember what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation? Do you remember his warning to them? What did he say? In Revelation chapter 2, to the church at Ephesus, remember your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. I wish that the church at Ephesus had continued to abide in this very prayer, to continue to be rooted and grounded in love. Highlands Community Church, do not forget your first love. Fall back in love with Jesus again if you've drifted. Let this scripture, and the way that it stretches the scope of how we pray, remind you of what it was like to be still wet from the baptistry, madly in love with Jesus. And pray like that. Pray like six-year-olds once again as a sign of spiritual maturity. Continue in the text with me. We have strength to comprehend with all the saints. I love how this transcends the boundaries of sanctuaries and auditoriums and worship centers that all of us Share in the same spirit with other saints. My heart goes to our missionaries from Highlands Community Church who are at distant shores right now as we gather today. With all the saints, with all the saints. What is the breadth, length, height, and depth? It covers every conceivable spatial dimension. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Do you see the word play in verse 10? To know something that surpasses knowledge? to know something that is unknowable? Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, you hear what the Spirit is saying. This is not something you can grasp with the carnal mind. Okay, do you hear me? The gospel is not a software bug to be fixed, Microsoft engineer, okay? Boeing, rocket scientist, it is not, it is not a glitch in an aircraft engine. It's not how, this is not an act of intellectual ascent, a ladder that you can climb if you follow a 10-step self-improvement plan. That's not how this works. This is a spiritual matter. It is by faith. By faith you can know that which surpasses knowledge. That's one of the most beautiful things I've seen happen in the hearts and lives of brand new Christians is that suddenly they know where knowledge came from. They know how we're able to know things. The cognitive dissonance is at last rectified. They're no longer haunted by simple questions that are easily answered by Christians like, where did matter come from? Well, God created. They're no longer haunted by those things. Where does morality come from? I don't know. It might be an evolutionary adaptive trait. No, it's the law of God written on our hearts here in his word. To know the love that surpasses all knowledge, to know the things that surpass all knowledge, speaks to how this this is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not an act of intellectual assent. Which means also, Christian, that you're not intellectually superior to people who disbelieve it. You understand? It's a gift of God that nobody can boast. We're saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. Amen? Continue in this beautiful text with me. You also may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see the word play? To know that which surpasses knowledge, to be filled with all fullness. He's speaking about how our carnal minds are wholly insufficient to accomplish this. The heights of that which we could know do not measure up. That which is full to us does not compare to the fullness of God. And this wordplay, in a way, continues into verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Far more abundantly than all we ask. God saying no to your prayer request is not because he's unable to meet it. The text says he is able to do abundantly more far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Okay, take the highest thought you could ever think God is able to do measurably more than that. The most esteemed thing, the the most expansive thing you could ever ask of God, he is able to do more. Would you pray like your dad is rich? Does that make sense? Go before God like he's able because he is. Go before your heavenly father like he's able, because he is. When you pray, know that this text is true. He can do more than you could ever ask or imagine. Pray in accordance with what God is able to do, and watch what this does in your heart and in your life. Ask God to do impossible things, because he can. He can. He has before. He can now. This stretches us, doesn't it? Believe me, I know. Believe me, I know that. But I've seen what happens when biblically sound churches just like ours are stretched in this, that we remember to pray in accordance with what God is able to do. First Baptist Church of Windermere was where I served as a student pastor. My son Aidan was born. He was born without a trachea. And the survival rate for a baby born without a trachea, the record was five minutes. I came in the day after Asher and Aiden were born with two bracelets on my wrist to get me access to the NICU because Aiden was still alive, born without a trachea, still able to breathe. And I went before this church and asked, would you ask God to heal? And this stretched us because we were accustomed to going before the one who spoke the universe into existence to beseech the almighty creator for a good parking spot. You see? Now, is there anything wrong with praying for a good parking spot? Not at all. Not at all. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. But I think you care about more than just your parking spot. Very few of us had ever actually asked God to to work a miracle before to do something impossible like this. And so that very act in and of itself, being sure of what we hoped for and certain of what we did not see, increased our faith, Hebrews 11.1. And man, oh, that brought revival in our church to ask God to do impossible things because he's able to. You ready your heart and spiritual maturity. If he doesn't, you give him glory either way. If God gives, if God takes away, in either scenario, he's worthy of glory. He's worthy. He's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask. So pray in proportion to what he's able to do. Pray like your God is big. That is what this text challenges us to do. To him be glory in the church. Who gets all the glory in prayer here? God gets it. Check your heart if you're praying for your own glory, even if inadvertently so. See to it that God gets 100% of the glory in your prayers. Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. We've already seen him explore every imaginable spatial dimension in this prayer, from height, depth, to width, but now he prays in, in accordance with another dimension, that of time. Praise that future generations, likewise, would continue in this. We we have baby dedication this morning. Isn't that beautiful? We are passing on the glory of God, the truth of the gospel to the next generation. We stand here today in a building that has been here. This has been a place where the people of God have met for 70 years. Hearing the mantle from a previous generation and praying for the next. Your prayer would not only encompass all of the full scope of God's height and depth and width, with all the saints rooted and grounded in love, but it also goes forward in time, that as you raise your children, you're praying that they know the gospel and they pass the gospel on to their children who pass it on to their children for a generation upon generation forever and evermore. Would you welcome Jesse Ketchum to the stage with me as he helps me lead us in prayer? there is in the bulletin and also in the Highlands app a prayer guide you can use this week. You can use now if you would like. And it walks us through in the sermon notes section the Lord's Prayer, the green button, sermon notes. The same content's gonna be available here above us I want to invite you to join me now in corporate prayer. If you're not a Christian yet, I want to lead you to Christ right now so that your prayer will be heard by your heavenly Father. If the Holy Spirit of God has been drawing upon your heart, I want you to pray with me now as I lead you to the gospel, and then I want us all corporately to pray a prayer according to the structure of the Lord's Prayer and according to the scope of Ephesians 3:14 through21. So if you came in this room uncertain of whether or not Jesus even existed until you met him face to face by the power of his spirit in this room I want to lead you in a prayer now that you would be speaking to your heavenly father as we pray God I wasn't sure you existed until right now I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that if I would believe in him I would not die but have everlasting life and I confess, O oh God, that I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And Romans 6.23, I confess that the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. John 14.6, I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that Jesus is the truth. I believe that Jesus is the life. And I know there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus And so, in accordance with Romans 10, 9, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church, would you say, Jesus is Lord? Say it, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, God, let me be saved. Be my father to whom I pray. Now, Christian. Would you just pray to God and give him glory? Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray to God and give him glory as you pray. God glory pray now for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And would you begin your prayer on a global scale? Let nations afar be upon your heart, nations afflicted by natural disasters, nations stricken with economic disaster, peoples who have not heard the Bible in their own language, people far from God. Pray globally for God's will to be done. Lift up the missionaries of Highlands Community Church from across the globe. You pray now for the United States of America. Let's pray for our nation. She is a beautiful nation founded on a radical Christian idea has never quite been perfect and has lost her way more than once, but God is not done here. Pray for our nation. pray for the Pacific Northwest now. Pray for revival. Remember what we studied as you pray. He is able to do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. Pray like your God is big, Highland, and ask him to bring revival here. Pray for Seattle. Pray for the homeless. Pray for our leaders. Lift up Renton. Lift up Kent. Pray for revival. Pray for God's will to be done. To make this earth Look more like heaven. Would you pray now for Highlands Community Church? With Highlands Renton, Highlands Kent, pray for unity, pray for continued growth. Pray for Highlands Community Church. for God's will to be done in your family. Pray for reconciliation in the coming holiday season. Pray for future generations. Lift up your family. Lastly, would you pray for yourself, pray for God's will to be done in your own heart. Now, as Jesus taught us, drawing upon how God miraculously fed the Israelites what they needed for each day. Would you go before God, ask Him to give you your daily bread, ask Him to give you what you need today, not worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry for itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. Pray for what you need today. next part could be difficult would you forgive others would you forgive absolutely every last person who's ever wronged you go before God and do not relent in wrestling with this thought until you can in good conscience say to God I have forgiven him, I have forgiven her I have forgiven those people, I have forgiven those who have wronged me Christian, you've been forgiven everything, so everything you should forgive. Forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, Christian, forgive, forgive, forgive. Would you go before God and ask for Him to forgive you of your sins? And would you be honest as you do? He knows about this sin. He was there when you committed it. Would you just confess it before Him? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So would you ask God to forgive you give you of your debts to him. As we've studied the book of Ephesians, we've seen how God can prepare good works for us to do. He is also able to lead us from temptation. Would you ask him to do exactly that? To lead you not into temptation. Would you express to him your willingness to obey what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? That if anything causes you to sin, if it's your eye, if it's your hand, cut it off. Ask God to lead you not into temptation. Ask God to deliver you from evil. God, as the lead pastor of Highlands Community Church, I want to pray Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus for this beautiful church. And for this reason, I bow my knees. Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant Highlands Community Church to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner beings so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that Highlands Community Church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that Highlands Community Church will be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to you, God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to that power, at work within Highlands Community Church, to you, God, be glory in Highlands Community Church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. To Would you stand and worship with us, some of us for the very first time, as new believers in Christ.